Hello and welcome to the Literature Podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature, and the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle, so let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, good day, and welcome to the beginning of another episode of A Novel Review, a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. My name is Seamus and I am your host, and for today's episode, a post-apocalyptic nightmare called Ice by Anna Kavan. But before I jump into this book, I always take a moment to reflect on any mantelpiece moments, something to highlight from the week past, and Today I wanted to talk about an article I read for an upcoming book called Wifedom by Anna Funda, and the book is about a woman called Eileen Blair. Let me guess, you have never heard of her. That's because she is one of the forgotten women of the past, and actually she played a huge influence upon the literature world, or like the world of literature, that sounds better. Who is she, you might ask? Can I hear you say that? Yes? No? Yes? She was George Orwell's first wife. And this article in the book reveals that Georgie Boy was not always the best husband. Now, this was revealed through some letters that were luckily found in 2005. And from that, we learned that Eileen kept the couple solvent and supported George's writing. But it actually becomes a bit more interesting than that because, and I've actually got a quote here, and maybe I'll just read the quote and you'll, you know, if you're a fan of George Orwell or have you know any understanding of what he has produced, you will sort of see a few crossovers, perhaps. So this is the quote. Orwell's involvement in the Spanish Civil War, for instance, is a masterclass in erasure. As George is piss-fighting around the hills of Catalonia, playing at being a soldier, Eileen is working in the nerve centre for the resistance. But when George writes it up in homage to Catalonia, Eileen is relegated to the role of a nursemaid and is never referred to by name. It is Eileen who keeps the couple solvent. Eileen who brings home tales of censorship from her wartime job at the Ministry of Information. Eileen who first writes a dystopian work called End of the Century 1984. Eileen who sharpens the satire of Animal Farm. And Eileen who types up every single word of Orwell's prose. Hmm. A man who said, In a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act, certainly kept the influence of his wife very, very quiet. So, like, I don't know, so, so interesting to learn this and so thankful that those letters have come to sort of the surface. But, I mean, you know what they say, never meet your heroes. Housekeeping, as always, all the scripts from the episode are available on my website, just in case you know of anyone who has a hearing impairment who might get a kick out of a written version of the pod. So head along, they are all free for use for all to enjoy. Okay, let's let's jump into this novel because it is a startling novel. Largely unknown to the literary world, although I was in a bookshop the other day and I did see the Penguin Clothbound Classics. They've started doing sort of smaller versions and I did see it printed with a lovely sort of cloth bound red cover so maybe it's on the rise again I'm not sure but hopefully it is because it was wonderful now there was a chilliness to this book a vast silence hovering over it as you move through it it was Anna Kavan's first literary success released in 1967 and 
it is a rogue novel, and I think I'm just going to jump straight into a plot overview, so here we go. In Annika Vaughan's novel Ice, a bleak and dystopian world is enveloped in an eternal winter. The protagonist, simply referred to as the Iceman, embarks on a quest to find a mysterious woman named The Girl. Along the way, he navigates surreal and desolate landscapes, encountering strange characters and facing his own inner turmoil. As the ice steadily encroaches, threatening to swallow everything in its path, the Iceman's search for the girl becomes a desperate struggle for survival and a haunting exploration of loneliness, obsession, and the fragile nature of human existence. So that is a very brief overview of what happens throughout the story. And look, the meaninglessness of this book is set against the backdrop of a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Now, what's interesting about this novel is it's quite plotless. And I find this interesting because while I feel I've done a few books of late that are quite plotless, this one totally engrossed me. And I think the way to describe it is sort of similar to films such as Blade Runner 2049, the, the Ryan Gosling one. Now... That film to me was fabulous, and it did have a storyline, of course, but I'm talking about the prophetic isolation of it all. There seems to be this otherworldly silence hovering above it all the time, and it's the same in this book. You kind of move through these loosely connected scenes with a deep melancholy as your companion, and for me, I think that comes from observing the death of the world at the hands of human destruction. Of course, it's not explicitly said, but one can assume that the nuclear disaster that caused these great ice shelves to sort of move through and, 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 and subsume human, the humanity is that of human creation and therefore destruction. It is also the surrealist aspect of the writing and narrative as they both work to capture the final breaths of life of humanity. The man is chasing a woman across the world because he finds her intensely beautiful and as he chases her, it's, it's, well, it becomes almost comical against the backdrop of the situation that the world currently finds itself in. But I guess it actually raises this question of humanity. If a world is facing imminent disaster, you know, unavoidable disaster, what would you do? Now, I think it is a really interesting idea because on one hand, I thought you could view his pursuit as beautiful, you know, chasing beauty against the backdrop of human destruction. But on the other he pursues this woman with such fervent desire that one could think he is an addict chasing a fix, which is curious because Annika Vaughan had issues with heroin and addiction. And so those two points, you know, they're very contrasting and confusing points. And I think the confusion of it all is explored through this quote of the man talking about the woman. And he says, Something in her demanded victimization and terror, so she corrupted my dreams, led me into dark places I had no wish to explore. It was no longer clear to me which of us was the victim. Perhaps we were victims of one another. It might be basically plotless, but the idea behind it are supremely interesting. It is a common trait through literature and other mediums of art too, and I genuinely don't know if it has a name, so please let me know if you're aware of anything I'm talking about. But it is this idea that the world is coming to an end. Why do we need the added drama? In, you know, in Titanic, the, in the film of Titanic, I'll reference the film, the boat is sinking. Why do we need the added drama of Leo fighting for his life? He is already in a life or death situation. Like, are, are we just dramatic creatures? Is, is one life or death situation not enough? 
Maybe it's because we inherently understand that death is always coming for us, slowly, like old age, like the ice caps in this novel, or you know the boat sinking in Titanic. So that slow approach to the end is always present and therefore always in the background. We can't just sit around and wait for the end to reach us. We've got a whole lot of drama to get through before we get to that stage in our lives. Now, interestingly, while this is a common literary thing that just probably happens, Anna Kavan does also admit she struggled with mental illness beyond her drug addiction, and so perhaps the encroaching ice shelf is that of her mental illness, the destruction that is slowly creeping in the background of the reality and of the daily, and then, of course, life just goes on as best it can until the ice shelf engulfs all. I think this next quote really ties together what the novel is about, and also I think it captures the struggles Anna had with her own life. And the quote goes, My ideas were confused. In a particular way, the unreality of the outer world appeared to be an extension of my own disturbed state of mind. It is this absurdity that is confusing, and I guess it could be perceived as quite an existential question. What is the meaning of it all? What is the meaning of life, the purpose of our existence? Do you just go about your business, marching to the final midnight of life? Do you party and drink your way to the grave? Do you pray to your God? I don't think there is a general answer. Instead, I leave it up to you, of course, and your own personal beliefs. The novel Ice is, you know, it's a relatively short novel, and her writing style is brilliant to match the, the isolation of the novel. I'm not sure if this is, you know, Anna's sort of stock standard writing style, because I've never read anything else of hers. But she does, in this particular novel, have a style that suits the emptiness of the novel. Take example for this quote. As her fate, she accepted the world of ice, shining, shimmering, dead. She resigned herself to the triumph of the glaciers and the death of the world. Absolute beauty of a quote. Shining, shimmering, dead. Short truncated words that instill this idea of beauty to only be cut down by the harshness of the world. Dead. The triumph of the glaciers, though that triumph is the death of the world. So what would I rate this novel out of five? You know, it's a bit of an unsung classic, although I did say that you know I saw it in a bookshop recently, so hopefully it's on the rise again. It has been largely unknown, but no less potent. I'm going to say it's a 3.8 out of five for this very cold, very bleak story. So what am I reading this week? This week I am reading a book called Half a World Away by Mike Gale. I'm reading it for my book club and it's the book we selected this month, which is great. It's it's set in London and I'm probably about 100 pages into it. But so far it's about the lives of two orphans who are separated and the difference in lives and experiences that they have, which I like as a topic to explore, though through a novel because it would be curious to see the difference in situation and maybe you know there's a bit of luck in regards to who becomes your foster parents or if you even get foster parents and how that sort of changes and shapes who you are and then of course it's not even a spoiler but of course they reconnect and how those sort of two different upbringings have shaped who you are and will go on to continue shaping who you are while also being and feeling inherently tied to a sibling in another life. So it's 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 wonderful so far. It's a very easy read. I'm enjoying it. That's what I'm reading. So I'll see where the story goes. Now, before I close out the show, if you've listened this far, please consider hitting those five stars. I would really appreciate it. 
Also, feel free to head along to the website and support the pod. And of course, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for your attention. So I think it's time to end this episode. And today, to take us away, I think Shakespeare. I haven't done Shakespeare yet, so I don't know, food for thought. But this particular quote comes from Henry VI, and the quote goes, Unbidden guests are often welcomest when they are gone.